Good morning, everyone. We are in Nehemiah chapter 9, if you want to open up your Bibles there. Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 38, finishing up the chapter this morning. The title of the message is God is Faithful. The subtitle, I suppose, could be, and we are not. (laughs) He is faithful even when we are faithless. Uh, We find ourselves about halfway through one of the longest recorded prayers in the Bible, coming off, of course, of a great time of revival, as the wall is complete, but now the people have gathered together and they bring out the Bible and they start studying God's Word for hours upon hours over multiple days, and just really this incredible worship service, responding to God, and there's repentance and brokenness and humility, and it's a time of renewal, and it's a time of weeping, it's a time of rejoicing, and God is really just doing an extraordinary work. As chapter 9 begins, it's the Levites leading out in this prayer, and they begin considering who God is, His faithfulness, and they're kind of looking back at their history as a people and all that God has done in establishing them and and then delivering them out of Egypt and taking them through the wilderness experience and how faithful God was. Of course, you have a couple million people going through the desert for 40 years and there was always food. There was always water. Uh, They had everything that they needed. And so it's this reflection on God, you're so good and you're so patient and you're so faithful but then we turned. We rebelled. Right from the very beginning, we kind of turned our back on you, and even though you provided everything that we needed. Over and over again in this prayer, we read how God gave them everything. He gave them His Word. He gave them His Spirit. He gave them food and water. It's God giving. It's the people sort of taking and then not responding the way that they should. And that theme is going to continue on as we finish up the prayer, now kind of looking as their history would continue. Uh, From the times of Moses wandering through the wilderness to the times of Joshua going into the promised land. And then God establishing them as a people and subduing their enemies. And and now He's going to bring them into this land uh, flowing with milk and honey. Uh, All of this provision, all of this blessing is there. Homes that they didn't have to build and vineyards that they didn't have to plant and wells that they didn't have to dig. It's all just there and God sets them up for success and blesses them. But of course, again, they turn their back on Him. Again, they're not faithful. And so God pleads with them to turn and repent, but because they would not, He allows some nations to come in as a form of discipline, as a form of correction. But even then, it's God's grace, it's God's mercy giving them opportunity to come back into the land. And as they've been spending time in the Word of God and considering their history with just this obvious reflection, Lord, time and time again, you have been so good and you've been so gracious even though we walk away and we've turned from you. Now, there's so much of this prayer that I think is healthy, right, good. It's the correct response as they're praising God and they're taking responsibility for their own actions. They're not shifting the blame on anyone else. And in brokenness and repentance, they're rededicating their lives to the Lord. There's so much of it that I think is good. But if there was one critique, 
I think perhaps though they recognize that they've been in this vicious cycle as a nation where God will do something great, God will establish them, they start to wander, they start to stray, they turn their back on God, he has to bring discipline, and this process just keeps repeating itself. And while they recognize that, they sort of fail to recognize the fact that you're sort of stuck in that cycle. This isn't something that you're going to be able to break free from on your own. As they look back at their own history, the realization that they should have come to was, we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. Because if it's just our faithfulness, we know that we can get it together for a short period of time, but we always kind of end up doing the same thing. We need someone greater than Moses who's going to lead us out. We need someone greater than Joshua who can bring us into the promised land. Uh, we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. That's the conclusion that they should have come to. And so for us, as we consider their history, as we look at this prayer and we consider their story, there's so much, too, that we could probably relate to as we think of their struggles. Uh, sometimes they would complain. Sometimes they were afraid. Sometimes they were looking back to Egypt. And there's aspects of the story that we can relate to in our own personal lives, but we have to learn that lesson as well, that we can't really come to this place where we think, all right, well, I get it now, and I promise, I vow, I'll never do that again, Lord, and now I'm going to follow you, and, and through my own power and through my own strength, because when you look at the end of the prayer, that's kind of where they go with it. They enter into this covenant, they enter into this contract. They all sign their names to it, and they basically say, never again, and give us one more chance. Give us one more opportunity. And the reality is, is one more opportunity, one more chance led to some more rebellion and failure eventually. We know that was true of the nation as a whole. We know it was true even in the days of Nehemiah. Before we're done with this book, Nehemiah, again, is going to have to correct him on some things, and there's going to be some people that fell into compromise. And so this whole concept of making these grand promises, oh, I'm never going to do this again, or here's what my new life is going to be, it has to be more than just human effort. Now, there's something to be said for making a decision. There's something to be said for hard work and discipline. But it has to be more than just our own strength. God has to come into the equation. We have to come to the cross. We have to come to the place where his blood was poured out. Uh, we have to come to that place of grace and mercy where Jesus can wash us and cleanse us and transform us from the inside out. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I'll start reading here at verse 22. I'm going to read down to verse 25, and we'll get into our study. And so this is now right in the middle of this prayer. It says, Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and rich land and possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. 
I try to tell my wife I'm just fulfilling scripture. They <laughs> ate and filled and grew fat. I'm just delighting in the goodness of the Lord. I take the Bible seriously. <clears throat> After their time in the wilderness with Moses, then Joshua, of course, leads them into the promised land. It says that they took possession of strong cities and rich land, and God subdued all of their enemies. Now, when we're thinking about that, I think it's important to have the right framework in our mind of what was really taking place there because it's true that God was giving this promised land to the children of Israel, but it was also true that he was taking it away from those who were already there. And this isn't a story of the big, bad, oppressive empire that comes into town and steamrolls these peaceful communities. That's not the situation at all. God had his eye on these nations for a long time. And the reality is when you discover some of the horrible practices that they were a part of, the violence and the cruelty and the immorality, if you and I were in charge, we probably would have judged them long ago. God was extremely patient. You have to go all the way back to Genesis 15 when God was speaking to Abram, later changed his name to Abraham. And he's talking about the great nation that was going to come. But he said, there's going to be a period of time where you're oppressed by another nation for 400 years, which of course that did happen in Egypt. And part of that timeline, God said, is because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. It's not yet complete. God was watching and observing these nations that were living in this godless way and all of the violence and cruelty that they were a part of. We know that they would offer babies and children to the god Molech. Uh, they were sacrificing their own kids, and they were doing it in a really torturous, painful, demonic way, sacrificing their children. We know that sexual immorality was rampant in those societies, but it had also trickled its way down to the child level. And so it seems like when that immorality, when it reaches kids and it's affecting children, that's usually around the time God says, enough is enough. He's extremely patient. He's extremely gracious. He gives opportunities to turn, opportunities to repent. But there does come a point in time where God says, that's it, I'm bringing judgment. Which, of course, should be a sobering reminder to the United States that we're not above the judgment of God. And as things start to affect more and more our children, God is going to step in at some point. And really, are we so far removed? You know, the, the sacrificing their children to the god Molech. That, what that was all about was unwanted pregnancies. Because in the worship of these pagan gods, that usually involved sexual immorality. Which means you have all of these children being born. These weren't families that were planning to have kids. This is immorality running rampant. So you have all of these unwanted pregnancies. So what do we do? Well, here, we've created this God where the way that you worship him is you sacrifice these babies, these children, these unwanted pregnancies, and that's how we'll deal with the situation. And are we really without guilt in that regard? You know, for all of the talk that we hear about abortion and the excuses and the reasons behind it, you know, you always hear, well, what about rape? What about incest? What about the life of the mother is at risk? And, and all of these things. Is there anyone under the illusion that that's like some small little fraction of a percentage of, of how many abortions are taking place? It's unwanted pregnancies. 
I think we're all aware of that. And it's, it's hard to get past how often the Bible talks about being formed in the womb. God knew us from the womb. Uh, God calls us from the womb. Uh, and so you, you put all of those things together and you realize, you know, we're, we're not that much different than some of these nations that were judged. And of course, all of that, that's not to condemn anybody. That's not to judge anybody. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the cross. We're thankful that though we all fall short of his glory, that there's love and there's forgiveness that's available if we would come to him by faith and receive what he's done on our behalf. We're thankful for those things. It's certainly not my hope and my prayer that we're you know, headed towards judgment in the United States. I, I'm, I hope for revival. I pray, Lord, pour out your spirit. I'm praying that the church could be salt and light, this preserving influence, that judgment could be held off as people are being brought into the kingdom. But here are these nations God is dealing with. There comes a point in time for a nation. There comes a point in time for every individual where time is up. And then God steps in. And so that's happening here uh, to these nations that he is now dealing with. Uh, but it's also true that God is subduing these enemies so that the children of Israel, they can come in. And there is this blessing. There is all of these abundant resources. This is a time where now all of the promises that were given to them are going to be fulfilled and they can be dwelling in the land. And it was God's heart. It was God's desire Come into the land, I'll deal with these enemies, I'll break down these strongholds, and now you can live here in peace. You can live here and just enjoy the blessings that I've made available to you. That was God's heart for the children of Israel. It's God's heart for us. God wants to bring us in, that not only would we be saved and forgiven, not only does he deliver us out of Egypt, and remove the penalty of our sin, but he wants to bring us into the promised land, uh, that we would be able to experience the fullness of who he is and walk in all of those promises, that we would see strongholds of the enemy be broken down in our lives and that we would just be able to walk with him and experience his blessing. And so that's an important question from time to time to consider, to ask, you know, have I been delivered out of Egypt? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Has there been a defining moment of your life where you turned to him by faith and received that free gift? Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again from the dead. Would you come into my life? Has he saved you from this world? Has he saved you from your sin? Another question to consider is, have I really entered into the promised land? Have I entered into the fullness of of all that God has for me. Because, of course, the tragedy was for the children of Israel. Some of them didn't go into the promised land. They were too scared, too afraid. They said, oh, there's giants in the land and there's battles and I think we're good. I think we're just going to stay on this side of the Jordan. And then for those who did go in, they never actually took full possession of all that God had made available to them. And so that's a question to consider have I really entered in to that full, abundant life that Jesus has for me? Or are there things that are holding me back? Am I on the fence for whatever reason? Whether it's fear, whether it's compromise, whatever the situation might be. Are there things that are holding me back? Or if I have made that trip in and, and standing on the promises of God, is there still territory to be conquered? 
Is there some stronghold of the enemy that God wants to break down? And listen, all of that is said not because, well, God is angry with you and you're probably not doing it right. No, God has this abundant life for us. Jesus said in John 10 that the enemy comes to rob, steal, and destroy. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There's an abundant good life that God has for us. And so he's constantly, he's calling us in. Come in a little closer. Go in a little deeper. Grow in your relationship with me. Here's a stronghold that I want to break down. Here's something that I want to set you free from. This is a work that I want to do in your life. And we want to hear his voice. And we want to respond in the way that he would have us. And so as he brings the people in, says they take the strong cities, they take this rich land, God set them up for success. But then we read verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen, therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. So here the Lord had set them up for success, gave them everything that they needed to live this rich, abundant life, and yet they still turned and rebelled. We read that they, it says you cast your law behind their backs they turned their back on God. They turned their back on God's Word. They departed from the truth that's been revealed to them and they sin and rebel and they walk away from the Lord. You know, when there's a Christian who's in compromise, when there's a Christian who is backslidden, when there's a Christian uh, that's, you know, walked away from the Lord, time and time again, I'll show you a Christian who isn't daily in the Word. They're not spending time with Jesus. They're not spending time in devotion. I realize that sometimes when you say that to people, when they're trying to discover, well, what's the problem? What's the issue? What do I need to do differently? And don't tell me just to pray and read my Bible. It's always like, well, are you? <laughs> are you praying and reading your Bible? Are, are you really in it every day? Do you know more than the Scripture? You know, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Is your delight in God's word? 
Is it the ultimate source of joy and fulfillment, just spending time with Him? Is it something that you're meditating in day and night? And listen, this also isn't a word that just comes from a place, you know, God's probably upset with you, you're not reading your Bible enough, and I don't know what your problem is. No, this is an invitation that the Lord is constantly giving. No, spend time with me. I want to speak to you. And this is something that we can grow in. This is something that we can develop because I don't know that there would be any greater pursuit. You know, all of the things that we try to do sometimes to make our lives better. And so we'll buy these essential oils and we'll sign up for these programs. And how can I make myself better? How can I improve? You know, I, I want to be you know, healthy and I, and I don't want to have all of this fear. I don't want to have all of this depression. I, I want to grow as a person of all of the things that we could be pursuing to develop and cultivate that daily relationship with the Lord where we're delighting in His Word. The Bible says that's the blessed life. That's the person who is going to be fulfilled. That's the person who's going to find that meaning and that significance. It's in a relationship with the Lord. It's hearing His voice. And for all of the rules that we put onto it, you know, oh, this is how long your devotion needs to be. It needs to be so many minutes. It needs to be so many hours. It needs so many chapters. Oh, here's what you need to be doing. Just reading your Bible, just hearing His voice, and then responding to the things that He puts on your heart. So they turned their back on God's Word. Verse 26 and verse 30 both mention God sending the prophets. Of course, verse 26 says they killed the prophets that God sent to them, and then He kept sending more. And God sends the prophets to plead with the people. And of course, it's really incredible when you think about it. The patience of God. I, I mentioned earlier, if we were in a place of judgment, we probably would have brought judgment a long time ago. If, if we were in this place where here He's brought them into the land and He set them up for success and then they turn their back on Him, He would have been totally right. He would have been totally justified in saying, you know what, see you guys later. If that's what you really want to do, if that's the direction that you're going in, you're that stubborn sheep that just keeps leaving the pen, you know, how many wolves do I have to save you from? How many disasters do I need to rescue from? You know what, if that's what you want, see ya. But instead, he sends the prophets who are going to plead with the people. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they could be as white as snow. Why are you choosing death? Why are you choosing the things that never really satisfy and God pleads with the people to return? And that's something else I know about the backslidden Christian. Someone who's walked away from the Lord. Something else I know is God is gracious and faithful to send a prophetic voice into your life. It might be a family member, it might be a friend, it might be something you hear on the radio or social media, it might be a total stranger, but God will be faithful to send that prophetic voice that's pleading with you to turn, pleading with you to come back home, reasoning with you. Why are you going in this direction? Where are you? Come back to me. And it's not too late. You haven't gone too far. There's hope. There's grace. There's mercy. There's an opportunity for you to be restored. And if you ever find yourself in that place, and perhaps some could be there this morning, if you find yourself in that place and God's pleading with you, 
And he's coming close and you hear his voice and you know there's something that ain't right. There's something that needs to change. And God comes close and he's given you that opportunity. Don't do what the children of Israel did and shrug the shoulder. Break free from his embrace. It says they shrug the shoulder. And that's kind of the picture. It's a father coming to his son, coming to his daughter who's acting up and, and putting his hand on their shoulder to embrace them. And they shrug the shoulder. They, they break free from that embrace. Now, I don't know what it was like for you growing up, and certainly the times and days in which we're living in, they're changing a little bit. Uh, for me, if my dad wanted to hold me down, he could. <laughs> and, and sometimes did. Uh, you know, this whole, now Johnny, um, that's not how we taught you. And, and Johnny's like, bah! You know, like that's kind of our, our day and age. I mean, back in the day, if my dad wanted to hold me down and overpower me, he absolutely could. If I was able to break free from my father's embrace, that means he wasn't really trying to overpower me. He wasn't trying to hold me down. That, that meant that it was a, a gentle touch. That meant he's coming alongside of me and he's putting his arm around me and his desire is that the relationship would be restored. Hey, let's deal with this. Let's put this behind us. You know, I want our relationship to be restored. Don't break free from that. Don't shrug the shoulder from our Heavenly Father's embrace when He comes close, when He puts His arm around us and says, come on, what are we doing here? What, what, what direction are you going in? Let's deal with this. It's time to get right. When the Lord is gracious and merciful and draws us close to Himself and He gives us that opportunity, that's not one that should be wasted. It says, though, that they shrug their shoulder and they stiffen their neck and they refuse to listen. But in the great mercy of God, He didn't consume them because He is a gracious and merciful God. Verse 32 says, Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them. Nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. As I said in the beginning, there's so many aspects of this prayer that are truly wonderful. Just a genuine response and worship to who God is and His faithfulness. And, and on one hand, they're completely recognizing that the situation that they find themselves in, they only have themselves to blame. God, You were right in dealing with us. You allowed nations to come as a form of correction 
whether that was the northern kingdom in Assyria around 721 B.C., whether that was the southern kingdom of Judah and Babylon around 585 B.C., God, you were right in dealing with us. We turned our back on you, and so you did what was necessary to bring correction, to bring discipline, but now here we are back in the land, and we're your servants, and we're following after you, but we're not really experiencing all that you originally had made available. You know, we're still, we're being oppressed. Uh, there's still these rulers over us, and it's our fault, we know, uh, but God, we're asking, would you, would you see us in our affliction? Would you hear our cry? And of course, the amazing thing in all of this is God did see. God did hear. God was aware, and they sort of use their promise and their vow and we're entering into this covenant and they kind of use that as a way of saying okay so lord because of that because we really mean it this time because things are going to be different and we vow we're going to follow after you because of that would you be gracious would you be merciful would you hear our cry because after all we're vowing that we're going to follow after you and of course, the Lord hears all of that and knows all of that, and yet He knows that they're going to break some of these promises. He knows that they're not all going to break out of this cycle that they're sort of stuck in. And I think one of the most amazing things about the Lord is, you know, we can call out to Him, and we always feel, though, like we have to persuade Him. We always feel like we have to make this case well, if you do this for me, Lord, well then, you know, here's what I'll do in return. And the reality is, is God knows our frame. God knows our weaknesses. You know, when we make these grand promises of what we're going to do, He knows if we're going to be able to actually fulfill those promises. And he, he's not being deceived. He knows the real situation. And yet, He still listens. And He still responds and he still provides his spirit and his grace and his love and his mercy, even though he knows we're not going to be able to fulfill some of these things. So I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've entered into that kind of negotiation with the Lord. Never again. Never again, Lord, am I going to do that. And then, you know, the next day or the next week or the next month, oh man, I'm right back in the same pit that the Lord saved me out of. Well, this time is different. And we make these grand promises. It's a cycle that we can get stuck in. And the reality is, there's something to be said for making a decision. There's something to be said, you know, for you know, growing in some discipline in our life. But God has to be brought into that equation. The Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, He needs to be brought in because if it's just our good intentions, if it's just human power and strength, if we're relying only upon ourselves, even though perhaps there's part of us, we're so genuine. Don't you get genuinely frustrated? Like, why am I still struggling with that? I, I wish this wasn't an issue. Why, why is it that I'm being so selfish? Why is it that I can't seem to grow in this area? And there can be a genuine frustration and a desire to change. But if there's going to be any real change, then it has to be the power of God, not the power of man. Uh, we have to come to that realization. Because the lesson that the Bible teaches, the lesson that they should have come to in going through those Scriptures is that 
time and time again, we fall short. And we all do. Uh, This is something that we all struggle with. And there's nothing wrong with God's law. There's nothing wrong with his standard. It's revealing who he is. And no, as a matter of fact, the law, it's holy, it's just, it's pure. Paul says in Galatians that the law is a teacher that points us to Christ. The, the mistake that we can make is we consider God's law and we say, all right, well, I need to roll up my sleeves and I just need to work hard and do it. Something to be said for rolling up your sleeves. Something to be said for working hard. But if it's trying to meet that standard of perfection, we're always going to fall short. What we're really supposed to be hearing is, I need a Savior. And so we have to come to the foot of the cross. We have to come to the place where His blood was poured out. We have to come to the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen where a father gave his son as a sacrifice for our sin. That we could be washed. That we could be forgiven. That we could be restored and renewed. And that we can be transformed from the inside out because Jesus fundamentally changed the way that we could have a relationship with God. A new covenant where now it's not law that's written on the tablets of stone, it's law that can be written on the tablets of our heart. He changes us, transforms us from the inside out. Jesus from the cross says, it is finished. It's paid in full. The work for salvation is complete. We couldn't possibly add anything to it. And so we come to that place where His blood was poured out and it washes over us and cleanses us. He changes us from the inside out. And now we have this relationship with Him that's based on His faithfulness, not our faithfulness. And we want to grow in it. We want to become more and more like Him. But it's not human effort. It's God, this is a work that only You can do. And so I'm I'm asking, would You change me? Would You transform me? Would you help me to follow you? Would you bring me in? You know, this morning, if you hear his voice and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, today is the day. You don't want to put that off for another moment. You don't want to gamble with your soul. You don't want to gamble with eternity. If you've never received Christ, you need to receive him because today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. We don't know how long we'll live. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know how many opportunities you might have. How many times is the Lord going to come close and say, this is the way. This is what you need to do. You need to receive me. How many opportunities does someone have? If you're hearing His voice and He's calling you in to a deeper relationship, it's time to really trust me. It's time to stand on my promises. You need to get into the battle. You need to get into the fight. Yeah, there's giants, and yeah, there's these nations. You know what? I've got it. I'm in control. It's time for you to step out in faith and just trust me. There's territory to be conquered. There's strongholds of the enemy to have come down. And when he pulls us in close, and he puts his arm around us, and we hear his voice, that's not a time to shrug our shoulders. That's a time to recognize he is our loving heavenly father and he wants to give us good things he he wants to live have us live that abundant life and so we need to respond to him yes lord you're right it's time 
Would you do that work in me that only you can do? Amen? Amen. Let's stop there. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and powerful, and we do pray that it would pierce into our hearts and to our minds this morning. God, I just pray for anyone here that you've been speaking to. Lord, I ask that you'd give them the power, that you'd give them the strength that they need to respond in the way that you would have them. If it's time to get right with you for the very first time, to turn from their sin, to turn from the direction they're going in and receive what you've done for them, Jesus, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Would you come into my life and help me to follow you? Lord, for any that you're calling into a deeper relationship to just trust in your promises, maybe to engage in the battle, maybe there's strongholds that need to come down, territory that needs to be conquered, I pray that you'd lead them and guide them and give them the strength that they need. Would you do a work in them that only you can do? We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we just ask that you would help us to follow you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.